We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings 2022, the Zurich Classic DraftKings Picks and Preview. Additionally, the final bets of the week. We blew up the schedule just a little bit for this team week, where most content providers are taking the week off, and frankly, I don't blame them, but here we are. We're going to talk it through. I talked through the bets with Jeff on Monday, Tuesday, if you missed it on the Pat Mayo Experience. Emery Hunt, NFL Draft Scout, provider of a huge encyclopedic volume of 1,000 NFL draft prospects was on the show to talk it through. Jeff Radcliffe on Thursday for more NFL draft, but we got to talk about the DraftKings slate for the Zurich Classic. Skylar Hoke, host of... DP World Tour Picks and Bets on the Mayo Media Network will be joining me to talk about the DraftKings Plays of the Week, talk through the entire slate, plus maybe a little bit of Euro towards the end. If I'm feeling a bit frisky, but I wanted to hit you with my final betting sheet before we started off because there is going to be no live chat this week where I normally do it. So, reminder to everyone out there, smash the like to the episode, give me your favorite sleeper team down in the comment section, sub to Mayo Media Network, sub to Fantasy National, dot com slash mayo for 20% off and because I'm in my home studio maybe I can screen share as we're going along right now as well so you can see what I'm looking at as I attempt to do research on this wonky tournament and what else we have the listeners league it's almost full but the link is down in the description if you miss it head on over to Tambo's Twitter page at Totag and Tambo on Twitter because the Fantasy Golf Degenerates Listeners League is now open. They did not have a show this week. Uh, they weren't going to do one for Zurich anyway, but Kenny is still recovering. Uh, so our best wishes are with Kenny right now. And it, from talking to him, it sounds like he's doing a little bit better. So just yeah, let Kenny know that you're thinking about him. You know, at KendoVT on Twitter. So go check him out right now. 
final bets for the week. We got Horschel and Burns is where I decided to go at the top of the card. They were good last year. Billy Ho has won this event in the past, albeit with Q- QAnon Scott Piercy as his partner. So anything can happen for Billy Horschel. And he won this as a solo competitor as well for his first PGA Tour win way back when. They're 14 to 1. My guys, Will Zalatoris, Davis Riley, 35 to 1. I couldn't help myself. Sung J.M. and Ben Ann as a team, 38 to 1. Then I got Merritt and Streb at 70 to 1 with the top five each way. Kisner and Brown, because I can't help myself, 80 to 1 with the top five each way. That's the betting card for the week. Maybe I'll add something live. Probably not, because, spoiler, not going to be watching a bunch of this tournament. Although, if I have guys that are contending on Sunday, I'm definitely going to tune in to see what happens. Because, you know, I feel like that can affect the outcome, sort of like the reverse Andriker. So I'm really locked in. Maybe I can will it to happen for me. Now, I don't really mean like Danny will it to happen for me, because I don't need that to happen this week. That already happened. That was six years ago. Don't want to happen in this week. That would not be good news. Anyway, Skylar Hook is here with me right now to talk this through. Do you have any sort of lean on what you're going to do for your bets this week? Because it does seem like everyone is betting Horschel and Burns at the top. I did take my pass on Team Chile and Team Canada, two other very popular bets this week. Yeah, well, first off, Pat, thanks for having me on the show. I align with you on a couple bets, and they're the, I think, the gut bets of the week. And the first one is Zalatoris and Riley. I feel if they were to win on Sunday, we would just be kicking ourselves for it not to happen. Roommates, of course, have the history. And then the older version of that is the Kevin Kisner, Scott Brown. So those are definitely on the betting card. Um, if I'm going to go through, you know, my other selections, I really like Max Homa and Gooch at the top. I feel with the odds, you know, decent enough for two of the arguably best informed guys there. Um, so like them a lot. I like the Adams family. So Spenson and Hadwin. Um, they are coming in lights out with the irons. So big fans overall of both of those guys. And then getting a little bit deeper, and we'll talk uh, Party Marty teaming up with Bob. I'm excited for that team in the 60s. And then the last bet, and arguably my favorite of the bunch, um, I think Bramlett and Mav McNeely, um, they're as long as 75 to 1, make a decent period there too. And we'll talk through. None of them are super long shots. But um, yeah, off the top of that, that's my betting card there. So when I was thinking about what kind of teams to target, because I think that's important and there doesn't really seem to be a ton of rhyme or reason to it. So did you have any sort of strategy that you wanted to go with? Like I like the Zalatoris Riley pairing because obviously they're familiar with one another. And I actually do kind of trust, well, twofold that if Zalatoris hits it to three feet, which he likes to do, that even if he misses, maybe Davis Riley can make that putt for him in certain circumstances. And then in the alternate shot, I think that Riley's putter, if he's on that week, and you never know with putting, it can kind of carry itself through and he can kind of make up for it. We know that Zalatoris, even on the par fives, very good leg putter. So I think that their skills complement each other really well. Uh, you hope that Sungjae turns around the putter from what we saw at Heritage last week. And what the hell is going on with Ben Ann? Like, is he putting now is is that a thing that he's doing i mean he's doing everything i mean he's i think number two on their points list now one good start away from being on the pga tour um so he, he'll be right back but it's, it's interesting because you had me up in the match play another week that i just love and, and just the randomness of what this week presents is you know an advantage when we think about it from a dfs standpoint i would say to me if i had to think the most important is i, I like familiarity things that make sense if they are have a little relationship, but if they're going to be playing, like if Cam Champ was playing with just say Brian Gay, like those guys' iron shots are going to be super different than where they're normally comfortable with. 
So I almost think a similar skill set is probably my favorite if I had to pick. But also, if you are going to think of the alternate one, one where if you do have an ultimate ball striker, could they get picked up by O'Reilly? I think you could make the argument on both sides. There's probably no right answer. Um, but that's kind of my, uh, I guess, picking of the litter. Well, that's the main reason that I stayed away from Hadwin and Svensson. Maybe I'm just overthinking that a little bit. Just We know that Hadwin's been really good recently, obviously, but he's not super-duper long off the tee, and that kind of meshes well with Svensson, but Svensson just legit can't putt. That during the alternate shot, if Hadwin's not absolute money and they need to make an eight-footer, it's weird that I would consider, like, Zalatoris pretty good at making eight-footers, which he is by the numbers. It's like three-footers, which give him the utmost amount of difficulty. You know, if he starts missing three-footers, we're all screwed anyway, so I wouldn't think about that too, too much. It's just, can Svensson pick up Hadwin if Hadwin's not having a day? I feel like with the rest of my team, outside of Im and Ann, which is just kind of playing two South Korean guys, Ann is on the upswing, great course history, obviously at TPC Louisiana, and Im has been kind of hit or miss, but it does seem like T to green, he's locked in. Hopefully he can just find his putter, which we know he, he can do over time. And, you know, he had a bad week. Now, Spieth isn't a bad putter. He just had a bad week. He still ended up winning. But you don't normally consider Jordan Spieth someone who's losing two strokes putting. He's like the gain five type guy. That I just wanted something. And then I had the similar skill sets, obviously, with Merritt and Streb. I feel like they complement each other really well. Merritt's someone who can get super hot. And then Kisner and Brown... Is it has anyone as a team in this tournament played even half the amount of rounds that Brown and Kisner have played together? I I don't think so. Um, it does feel like the more I just wonder how these guys end up getting each other as as pairs. And these guys have been consistent. You know, we have seen a lot of chain uh, teams evolving. I do like your Burns and Horschel. They're back for a second year. But no, I would say you include those Tuesdays in which those boys are cleaning up money. Yeah. They probably have the most experience of anybody together. Well, let's jump into it. Let's get to the field on, well, on DraftKings this week and on fantasynational.com. Again, fantasynational.com slash Mayo to get yourself 20% off. We can see it on the screen right now. In the $10,000 range, Colin Morikawa and Victor Hovland, Big Dick Vic, are both $10,700. And again, if you're filling out the simulator this week in the lineup generator or you're just on DraftKings, you take one guy from each team don't star both of them because it's going to screw up the entire process. So just pick one guy, just like on DraftKings. They give you both options, but you can only pick once. They're together. They're the most expensive. They're 10-7. They are the betting favorites at DraftKingsSportsBook.com. Xander and Cantley at 10-4. Cam Smith and Leishman, the defending champions, are both at 10-2. Then you have Sam Burns and Billy Horschel at 10,000. Uh, I mean, I'll drop down even a little bit more, I suppose, into the $9,000 range. Scheffler and Palmer. Palmer, who draws the pick of the litter for partners in this tournament, 9-7, Poulter and Lowry are 9-5, Fleetwood and Sergio, 9-4, Mito and Neiman, Team Chile, 9-2, and then you got Homa and Gooch, a team that you liked, at 9-1, Varner and Bubba Watson at $9,000. So do we have to approach betting this and DraftKings searching this a little bit differently? Because... I'm just trying to think of what I want to do from a DraftKings perspective, and I I think it's more or less I don't want to play a ton of lineups, and I might just build around like a core four, core five teams and try to throw a few outliers in. So obviously I'm just going to go with the teams that I bet. Would you make a case for anything different based on the DraftKings scoring? Like I don't think Bubba and Varner are going to win, but are they good DraftKings players because they're just going to light up best ball? Yeah, I mean, I I would say my betting approach was 
we were a little different. I, I don't know if I trust any team in this type of format at really short odds. I think Gucci and Homa were 28 to one. That's as short as I went because of the variance that comes into play here. So I'm going to have to roster somebody up here and, and probably to your point, MME this week is difficult. You're, you know, it's just, you're, you're spinning the wheel. Um, so like, I think I would take a little bit of discount. I, I mean, Vic and, and Morikawa seem like the, the best team I would say as, as a duo, but, in that same Kisner Brown talk, do you just trust Leash and Cam more than anything? I mean, I went back to the Cam well last week, and it was really tough to watch opening Thursday. But um, he just been with Scotty, I guess, the one-two of the of the year, and I would take Leashman over over Palmer personally. So I think Cam and, and Leash are the the best value, I guess, of the bunch up there to me. And they're the defending champions, so that should yep. go a long way. And outside of year one, really, when Cam won with Jonas Blix, beating Brown and Kisner in that playoff, it's generally been good teams that have won. I, I think the lowest odds team that pulled this off were Piercy and Horshaw. I still think they were like 30, 35 to 1 the year that they won. So that's sort of the area where you want to stick in. Uh, just, I mean, when you have two highly skilled players it feels like it trumps one and a half or even one highly skilled player uh, at the very end which kind of leads me to are we just stupid for not going with a cam smith team and a scotty scheffler team right now and just continue oh. to ride like scheffler's the best player in the world he's won four of the past six events he's not even ten thousand dollars yeah no i completely agree i mean there couldn't have been a bigger egg on our faces monday morning after the masters of how simple the process was it, it lowry's arguably been the, the third best player in some capacity of the year too. It could have been an easy one, two, three in that, in that sense. Um, yeah. I mean, Scotty Scheffler under $10,000. Um, I, I think right there with Cam, that's an easy one, two to start lineups. So you see Scheffler, obviously he comes in playing well. Palmer's won this event with John Rahm in the past. Like that's, I mean, that's not even including the match play when we look at fantasy national right now, but like that is just, Pure craziness. It's funny that he was not good at the players, uh, but it, it, I took it out last week, and I, I kind of regret this with Lowry, because if you looked at it, uh, and like even a lot of the top of the leaderboard, let's just rewind to the Honda Classic for a second, uh, where he came in second. Obviously, he came third at the Masters and third at the RBC Heritage, but I was like, yeah, when I'm looking at the comp courses for uh, Heritage, I'm not going to look too hard at PGA National solely because I think that because of the water, it's so ubiquitous, it's not at Heritage, that's going to throw off my numbers a little bit on certain players. Although if I had just looked at this and looked at the players who did well, you can see them there on the screen. Straka, Lowry, Berger, Norin, Kirk, Schwab, like, and even Brian Stewart, a guy who lost like four strokes putting in round one, ended up playing pretty well. Svensson was really good last week. Like Of those guys who were in the field last week who came inside the top ten, like they basically all made the cut. They all played really well. I feel like such a moron for not looking at it. Yeah, that's – no, literally it was just handed to us in some sense. And it's – we never – I mean, that's probably why when I think about this event even too, like – I say something off the top. Yeah, I'm not going to bet these these teams up here. And of course, you come back. Well, these are actually the teams that, that do win. You know, it's we we overcomplicate things so much overall. Um, and I think we've had a substantial amount of form to look at for these guys in the calendar year. So, yeah, I agree with you, and it just makes sense, especially they're not like uh, egregiously priced anything either. 
So continuing to go back and look at everything, uh, obviously we want approach. We want the maximum amount of birdie opportunities possible. And then kind of taking a look at the like top of the leaderboard or top of the DraftKings pricing. Again, I'm good with fading Morikawa and Hovland. Um, just they're too pricey because I, I, I think it's, I mean, you can figure out the top. You're going to have to get lucky, obviously. But I think a lot of this just has to do with what are you going to do at the bottom? Like how do you decipher between those teams? <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's arguably. You, you want? Do you, do you want Jay? Do, player, right? do, do you want Jay Hass and Scott Gachowski? <laughs> yeah, gosh, I can't believe they're letting uh, Bill tee it up with his dad. There's just, I, I wondered this too. Like, how did certain guys get into the field or allowed to be picked? Like, how did Ben Ann, like, how did Sung Jay be able to do that? Because I'd imagine we'd see teams differently if it was just free for all. Like, I wonder what those rules are. I would wager, at least in my mind, is that you get in on, like, priority. Like, and then you get to team up, like, the person with the priority gets to team up with who they want. Like, you can pick whoever. So if Sung Jay's in, he's like, hey, I want to play with Ben Ann. And then all of a sudden, Ben Ann's in the tournament. Like, hey, maybe I can do my buddy a solid here. Uh, We can win this tournament. He can automatically get his PGA Tour card back. Although it looks like he's going to get it back anyway, based on what he's been doing on the Corn Ferry Tour so far. I would imagine that's how it goes. I have no idea, to be perfectly honest with you, but that logically makes sense looking at these teams. Yeah. Well, the only reason I brought it up is um, I'm a big fan of Patrick Flavin. He's one of the Corn Ferry Tour, or he's gotten some starts in the PGA Tour, and he was on Monday Q's podcast and was saying he was really hoping to partner up with his good friend Nick Hardy to see if he could get a shot at getting points. He's like a good finish away from finishing and getting on the PGA Tour, at least the Corn Ferry Tour finals next year. Um, but Hardy is playing with Curtis Thompson this week. And I'm assuming those guys don't get, don't, don't get to choose when you're that far down the priority, but it makes sense. Something like Sungjae would get a chance to get somebody. I'm trying to find it now to see if I have a TPC Louisiana or a Zurich model built. Shockingly enough, I do not. I don't even know how you would begin to model this tournament. Do you? No, I mean what the, the course, I mean, I guess if we back it up from how we fit the course. So if we go, what was the last year? Was the Brian Stewart win the last year it was played here? Uh, um, I bl- I'll click on because we only have the singles tournament history right now. So, yeah, 2006, that would have been that year. Stewart, and that was like 54 holes, I think, right? It was. It was 54 holes and a Monday finish, and Stewart beat Lovemark and Ben Ann in that playoff. So we can kind of take a look at what's going on here. Let's find out. Yeah, Stuart, oh man, Bjorn Hanan, 3.3 strokes putting. Like, it was just all, everyone gained putting inside the top 20. Ryan Ruffles, good God. But yeah, you have to putt at this course. And like, if you don't yep. have an elite putter on your side, that's why I think Burns and Horschel are the team to target at the top. Why do you think that Leash and Cam Smith have done so well here? Or Kisner and Brown yep. for that regard? Because all those guys putt. Yep, yep, 100%. I've been doing, and we'll talk about it a little bit later when I mention team. I've been looking at um, like some per shot stuff, like getting down into the nitty gritty. And I wanted to see like who were some of the teams that like are having like outlier putting, you know, examples or like the ability to just like put the lights out or, or off the tee lights out. And like there are some teams like Cam and, and Leishman are, are up there as some of the, the best overall putting and they have that high percentile type of thing. But there are some random teams that kind of, pop along the way in that too but it's, it's tough on a sample size as well with some of these lower teams but um, there's some cool stats when you kind of dig in a little bit deeper 
Let's try to find out. Let's just take a look at the strokes gain putting right now. Past 50. What do you find is... Oh, my God. Martin Trainer is second, and he still sucks that much? <laughs> Tough scene for fucking Martin Trainer. Are there types of players that you like to go to? Like, is there any sort of, like, random sample size of putting that you would like to see? Like, do you want to see if someone's currently putting hot right now? Like, is past 12 good for you? Past 24? I, I It defaults to past 50. So I think that ends up becoming the lean for everyone. I have no idea if that's a good sample or not. And spoiler alert, uh, a very special guest will be joining me while I am on vacation. Because, uh, you know, Pat Mayo's not going to leave you without shows while I'm on vacation. I'll have a full slate of shows, all brand new, while I'm gone. But it's going to be digging into putting research. I haven't recorded it yet, so I don't know the actual findings of this research project of a good friend of mine from the site. Uh, number fire so you know that he's good with the numbers maybe they're on fire i don't know but just to look at it and try to find the guys in here right now if we just take a look at strokes game putting and maybe we should use average maybe that's gonna work out a little bit better but you know cam smith is up there Cantlay's up there burns is up there didn't expect scrivener up there can jason day recapture magic here man Scrivener uh, and Day. You brought up Ruffles earlier. Ruffles was a partner with Day here in the past, too. I don't know. There, there's just not enough dice uh, for me there. I think uh, answering your first question, we, we got to zoom out in putting. I don't know. I don't think I believe in, in short-term putting carrying over. Um, but I do like the – there's the toggle there where you can see, like, percent of rounds that are positive. Um I think that's kind of interesting because you always like if Morikawa is the guy we bring up as an example, like Morikawa has the spike week. I think if you look at the positive round percent, potentially, you know, that kind of encapsulates a little bit more of the upside percentage they have, even if it's a, a really bad week and you lose, you know, four strokes putting it around, but you gain six the next day, like the upside type of thing, I think is incredibly important. So I like doing that toggle a little bit. Well, it's funny, just looking at it right now, Joshua Creel's number one in his past, you know, he has 28 rounds. It's still yep. most of the names that you would see, but all of a sudden, like, Sam Ryder's up there. It's Cam Smith, Denny, Sam Ryder, Hostler, Merritt. So Merritt takes a pretty big jump up. Lucas Herbert takes a pretty big jump up. You can see Trainer falls, but Patrick Cantlay was inside the top five of overall strokes game putting, and now he's down to, geez, like 18th or 19th because he only actually gains 60% of the time against the field. That's what this this category means on Fantasy National. People are wondering, rounds yep. gain percentage. How often do they gain on the field? So they would, I would kind of think that if you could find a discrepancy between overall strokes game putting and percentage of rounds gained, uh, some, someone like Cantley, I think, would kind of speak to your uh, look of, hey, does this guy have spike days, spike weeks? I would say yes, because overall strokes game putting is so much better than what he actually does end up gaining overall yeah, i'd be curious to see with morikawa solely because he's you know he gains 44 percent of the time so most of the time he loses against the field but where is he at in overall rank in putting in this field he's 103rd so 103rd would indicate to me that he's actually overall you would think that he'd be like a 30 percent gainer against the field i mean based on the fact that what there's a hundred and how many players are in this field 160, 160 80 so, teams, yeah. so he is you know maybe that actually does check out that he's slightly worse than average no big shocker to see kyle stanley being the worst and when you had your bramlet pick like that's my biggest fear is that he's so bad on the greens okay so uh, let's use canley as an example um i've been working with uh drew matthews Rekicic, um, on some of the stats because he he really dives in and we've been talking on it so 
I'll get real granular here. So basically I looked at the last two years of like individual hole putting, what that person gained, strokes gained putting on that specific hole. And then cumulated those all. And I looked at what the 90 percentile score was. So if you have a top 10% outcome on the greens, you probably made a long putt or, you know, you hit a really, really good leg putt on an 80 footer, you know, something like that, where you were in the top of the top. So I'm Patrick Cantlay, perfect example here. He is ranked 19th in the field over the last two years on having 90 percentile putts. So that's, you know, really good. But then if I looked at like his average putts that he has, he drops all the way down or like how, how many times he's positive on the, on the field. So kind of what you looked at, he would drop all the way to 48 in the field. So you can kind of see some of those individual, you know, like really outstanding putts that they must make. And I kind of did this first shot. So if you look at some of the guys that have actual sample that are like really good putters, like Justin Rose is number two on that list. And that probably makes sense because we see him putt really well on there. Scribner does pop to your point. Um, what's kind of interesting is actually Svensson shows out as somebody who can make some really long ones, but is not a consistent putter at all. So I don't know. It's just another way to look at it. I'm really feeling it out in the process, but it just, I want to see some spikes. Well, that's interesting. Maybe I can uh, bring you in on some of these conversations on that show that I'm going to be having because I want it to be somewhat of an evergreen show because I'd like to get to the bottom of it because it's not that I don't think, I mean, we've talked about it so long that I think it's kind of gone the other way with it that, you know, putting doesn't matter. Obviously, putting does matter. The reason that we always say that putting doesn't matter is that we don't find it very predictive. But what if there's a way that we could find it somewhat predictive? I feel like that would be a huge edge in a lot of this stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, think about Cam Smith's run. I mean, I would say the general public, if you look at Augusta, for example, I mean, it was probably one of the biggest misprices. So I, I wouldn't say ownership was necessarily an indicator because that's that's not it. But people doubted Cam and still kind of doubt Cam because it has been short game drinking. And, and I think we just all have that tendency because we want guys to put it close because we know over time they can have that week. But I would agree, I think, it's definitely gone way too far in the pendulum of not mattering when it, when it's a huge facet of the game. Well, it's just funny, like even to talk about it, to look at his run juxtaposed with what he did at heritage when he lost three strokes around the green in two rounds and lost a stroke, 1.3 strokes putting like sort of the antithesis of everything that he had been doing in the year. First time he had lost since the CJ cup around the greens a week when he lost 0.1 strokes before that, like his last like legitimately bad tournament was the U S open around the green. And it's just funny, mm-hmm. if he doesn't chip, he like he's out. Like He ejects immediately if that's going to be yep. the end of him. But he might be a nice buy target here, DraftKings-wise. You can see the driving was actually good last week. The approach was pretty amazing for two rounds worth of it. You just make his around the green normal, and he's probably like six under after two rounds instead of what yep. he ended up with. So maybe that is an opportunity to get back on him for a guy who's won this tournament twice in the past. I mean, that's what, really what I want to try to parse through this week. And do we just kind of ride form in terms of overall results or do we want to go with this? It's funny you mentioned Svensson. I threw this up on the screen while you were talking. The numbers don't lie here and it kind of backs up what you said. 25 foot plus putting. He's third in this field. He sucks everywhere else. And even yeah. sort of like Zalatoris, like, 
We think Zalatoris is bad from in close. Anyone who has bet Svensson so far this year, ask my poor my poor friend Reed Fowler, who like sweats Svensson's four foot misses all the time. He's 159th of 160 players from in close. Like that's just giving tournaments away. Like Zalatoris isn't even as bad as it seems. Uh, he's actually not horrible from five feet in in. He actually kind of gets progressively worse. Although you would think of him as a little bit better. The hardest thing that I can't figure out with putting is lag putting. How do you even figure out lag putting? Like, because three it, three putt avoidance doesn't tell you enough of a story, I don't think. Because, you know, Zalator is not scared of three putt from 12 feet. It's neither is yep. Svensson. But, like, when you watch Zalatoris at the Masters, maybe that's a bad example because he puts so well there that if the dude is, like, 61 feet away, he's putting it within, like, the two-foot bucket. Yeah. Um, I didn't – you tweeted that that week. What it was, you trying to find three-foot three – outside of 40 feet i didn't get a chance to dive in i think hopefully coming up i'll have a way to look at that um and i think it's going to be important at southern hills um because i've already seen some comments right away after speed one saying like if he wants to complete the the grand slam like this is his best shot it has some augusta comparisons where you can kind of hit it anywhere off the tee and around the green is going to matter and short game is going to be important so I think dialing in to, to that and approaching of Southern Hills, uh, which is the next major, right? So, yeah, um, I think it's um, something that definitely we can, we can learn more about. Uh, can you see my screen right now by chance? Actually, you can. I'm going to throw it up right now. And we talk about guys completing the Grand Slam. Do you know who I think has a real chance to complete the Grand Slam this year? Hit me. There he is. Well, the problem is it, it's not working out by end. <laughs> Oh, you can't see it. It's Dustin Johnson. <laughs> okay. All right. There we go. Okay. I, I would have, I wouldn't have been my guess, but I, I do feel he, he's just, I was disappointed in the weekend at the Masters, man. I mean, I thought he was such a sharp kind of play in that sense. And, but okay. Why? Tell me why. So I think that Southern Hills by and large should set up pretty well for him. And then do you remember what happened the last time that the open then open the open was at uh, St. Andrews? What year would have that been? 2015. So, Zach Johnson won against Louis and Leishman in the playoff. Okay. So, so no, I, I was going through. You want to know how much of a loser I am? I couldn't sleep the other night. And I was seeing how far back I can go in my head of major winners. 2015 is where I got lost. So I, I all fuzzy. I, I legit get lost in that, like, Jason Day, Jimmy Walker, like that range. I'm just like, yes. who, who won which one? And then it doesn't help now that the PGA Championship is before the U.S. Open. For and sure. Not after the Open. It's like, okay, now I need to reverse engineer it in my mind. I just, this is why we have Wikipedia. We're fine. We don't, yes. like, you, you want to do that? Just be Tim Andercuss. That's what he does. But here's <laughs> yes. what happened to Dustin last time. So he was crushing everyone at St. Andrews, 65-69 to open. And he was 75-75 on the weekend, but it wasn't really the weekend. He was up by so much. There was this huge delay that year. And he basically got frozen out of his round for like a day and a bit. And when he came back on, all of a sudden he was like he ended up going into like a windstorm. So he was up by all these strokes. Everyone else got to catch up to him. By the time he got back on the course, the conditions were disastrous, and it just absolutely destroyed him. I think it's a nice rebound spot for him because 
Although Zach Johnson ended up winning, and that's a way that you can win at the old course, I would still kind of rather take my bomber-type guys there because they can make mincemeat of that place if the conditions are yes. even a little bit benign. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think the open sets up. When I would have thought thought a little bit differently like two, three years ago when I wouldn't have really factored off the tee on those type of courses, I think the more and more the game has evolved, absolutely. It is one, if their conditions are up, I mean, we saw Morikawa just, you know, and that's a different style. Uh, but yeah, no, I agree. Um, I, I think we have some, some really good majors uh, lined up for the rest of the year. So let's try to hammer down on some picks from the 10Ks. I, I think that if I'm, sure. depends on how many lineups I play. If I play my usual 50 to 75, obviously I'll work more in the mix, but I need some cross-offs here. I feel bad about crossing off Morikawa and Hovland, but they're gone. It would be the most Xander thing of all time if he and Cantlay won this tournament. I'm not going to them. Leishman and Smith, Scheffler and Palmer would be shortlisted, but it's Horschel and Burns for sure. Are you on the same page with me there? Is like it's those three teams at the top you'd want to target? Um, yeah, I wouldn't be playing Cantlay and um, Xander. I, I'm okay fading there. I, like I mentioned Leishman. I would say Burns and, and Horschel would be one of my favorite selections up there too. Um, yeah, I mean, we're pretty in line. I don't think I would necessarily have to rule out Vic and Hovland, I guess, if you're not making that many lineups, just because like they are the clear best ball striking team, you know, like, I mean, they're what one, two in the field probably. So I, I think if that would be the one thing I would push back a little bit is I, I do think they're in play. I can see it. Um, they're going to kill best ball together, 100%. Yes. It, it's the alternate yep. shot that we're like, these numbers right here really worry me. 118th around the greens, 159th around the greens. Because even yep. when we looked at it, like, obviously the putter needs to be there. And I think that Vic's actually putted better. I mean, obviously his numbers are his numbers. But overall, I feel like he gets a bit disrespected as someone who's been a better putter. Uh, like even if you see in the shorter term, all of a sudden he's up to 49th in that category, despite the fact that he remains as bad around the greens. It feels like when he loses, he loses a lot, but he kind of zigzags a little bit, even when you see it. Gain two, minus 3.1. Gain 2.1, gain 5.1. Neutral, minus 3.2. And if you start digging back and do like that string, but basically starting at the CJ Cup last year, he's been good on the greens, which is... It's shocking that he hasn't won. I, I know he won like four times in the stretch and only once on the PGA Tour, and he won that goofy Tiger event. And he won, what, what was the one he won in? He won two in Europe, right? The German one and one of the Middle Eastern ones? Yes, yep. So maybe he cashed in there with great putting weeks, but it's just crazy to see Vic with putting numbers like this at tournaments, like even something like the Valspar and even Arnold Palmer, where he lost by a shot and Neiman runs away at the Genesis, but he still putted so well that week that he just didn't get that breakthrough on the PGA tour outside of Mayakoba, which is just really strange to me based on the ball striking numbers that he's been putting up. I think if I played 50 lineups, yes, I would get to those guys over Shoffley and Cantley, but I think I'm probably going to max out at 20 to be perfect perfectly honest with you and that leaves me in this range of the nines now like that bottom range i have bubba highlighted i might get off that i don't see a whole lot of fun playing any of these guys maybe sergio and fleetwood from a DraftKings perspective but i think that would actually be it for me i, I do like sergio and fleetwood i'll go i'm gonna pull this up as we, we talk here um but my argument would be on homa and gooch that they are I would dare say, you know, right with, um, you know, Morikawa and Hovland, 
one of the long-term just just better you know a, approach plays. I mean, I would rank them probably third in the field as approach. You know, you'd say Morikawa, Hoblin, Leash, and Smith this year, and then Gooch and Homa are are literally right there um, with them. I just think I don't know, just in that range, twenty-eight to one didn't make sense to me. I think 9,100 for, for that tag team is a little bit better because everyone else, you have a little bit of questions in the partner, you know, Lowry with Poulter, you know, I mean, has Sergio been all that, that great this year? I mean, Tommy's trending up, but even both of them together, I, I would take, I think, you know, Gooch or Homa on the season over them. So that to me is just the best duo of the bunch of the nine. So that's where I'd plant my flag. I wonder if there's anything to be found from this, like, I mean, what would you say is more important in this tournament? Five to 10 foot putting or 10 to 15 foot putting? You got a birdie, so I would think you, 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 the further the range is for me, I would almost say is even though it's probably not the most, I, I would think ten to fifteen. See, I, maybe I maybe they're both equally as important because I think there's going to be a lot of par saving shots in alternate shot where guys are going to need yeah. to make eight footers for par because that's just what ends up happening when you get so out of sorts in this. So maybe I can try to do this together. I'm going to add a column to my mixed condition model. I'm going to call it 10 to 15, and that's what we'll call it. We'll call it 5 to 10. We'll add that, and then we'll add another one and call it 10 to 15. 10 to 15 over the past 50 rounds each. And just click on that to see if, I mean, that's just the easy way to combine those two things together to see and just weight them both the same. So 50-50. Boom. Let's go. Let's see who the best players in the field at that are. And maybe we can find a partner that can potentially pick up someone else. So we have Lucas Herbert, Sung Kang, and maybe this is better for sleepers. Lee Biota, Tway, Shank, Long. There's Billy Ho. He pops up there. So of like the very top end players that we're looking at, Billy Horschel, Leishman. It's funny that Cam Smith. He's so bad at one of them. It really does drag him down. Uh, fortunately, his irons have been so good. He's putting inside 10 feet a lot. Yep. That, I would feel like the ten to 5 to 10 would be like more of your, maybe your birdie range and your kind of escapability would be up here. I could be completely talking out of my ass yeah. on this one too. Like, I don't really know. But like Bubba has been surprisingly good at something like this. Gooch and Homa might have the worst combined score of anyone in the field is my problem. <laughs> Thank you for confirming my pick there. That's uh very kind. I just, they've just been so good outside of like, we might have to stop playing Max Homeland majors outside of that, those weeks, you know, he's phenomenal. Like you can't, you just can't find it in majors right now. It's so bad. Oh, hi, I got you a gift. Here's an ad break. Element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means lots of salt with no sugar. Element is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and is perfectly suited to folks following a keto, low-carb, or paleo diet. I remember when I first got my element in the mail, I was feeling fatigued. I wasn't properly hydrated. So what I did, opened up the packet, took out the awesome water bottle that comes along with it, and boom, shook it up, took some, and have felt great ever since. Had the energy throughout the day so I can bring you some high-quality Pat Mayo Experience products. Element is so sure that you will love their product and come back for more, they're offering you a free element sample pack that's eight single serving packets free just cover the cost of shipping five dollars for u.s customers get yours at drink slash mayo this deal is not available on the regular website you must go to d-r-i-n-k-l-m-n-t.com slash mayo 
Element offers a no questions asked refunds. It's totally risk-free if you don't like it. Share it with a salty friend and we'll give you your money back. No questions asked. You have nothing to lose. Do you want to learn a new skill to build websites, troubleshoot tech issues, or transition into a new career? Over 50 million people already know that Codecademy is the best way to learn code. That's because Codecademy not only teaches you job-ready coding skills, but also helps you build unique projects for your portfolio, earn certificates, and even prep for technical interviews. Learn at your own pace and get qualified for in-demand jobs. Take Codecademy's programming personality quiz to get tailored career advice and course recommendations based on your strengths and interests. Interactive platform helps you learn by doing. Join over 50 million people learning to code with Codecademy and see where coding can take you. Get 15% off your Codecademy Pro membership when you go to Codecademy.com and use promo code MAYO. That's promo code MAYO at Codecademy.com to get 15% off Codecademy Pro, the best way to learn code. C-O-D-E-C-A-D-E-M-Y dot com, promo code MAYO. Kazire's been really good. Kazire and Post. Kazire and Post. Yeah, I think that's a good team. Mm -hmm. I I think that's a good team. Kazire's been sneaky really good this year. I didn't realize that. I I feel like he just has a tournament and then goes away. Has he been showing a bit more consistency than normal? So. Let's see, 26 miscut, 33rd, 22nd, 32nd, 61st, 10th. It's been a pretty good run. And he's just kind of, I mean, the approaches have been really good outside of last week. Yeah, that's his first negative approach, right, since the Farmers. So so bend some time. Yeah, I mean, those aren't like elite finishes by any means, but, you know, you combine the approach. Poston popped a little bit last week. I mean, maybe on these courses that's not driver heavy, he kind of feels that could be something like that. So, yeah, I think, yeah, he finished third last week. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a solid team. Their salary is what in the next tier, right? Yeah, so eighty four hundred for those guys. Yeah, I like that team. So yeah, the entire eights. You have Zalatoris and Riley, who I'm playing. You have Willett and Hatton. Don't know if I can get there with those guys. Sungjae and Ben Ann, who I will be playing. G Mac and Power Steele and Bradley. Steele and Bradley are a really interesting team to me because I feel like they actually do exactly the same thing as a skill set. Yes. Yep. Uh, uh, that would be my pick outside of Riley and Zalatoris. I, I looked for, for teams that had like top like 25 percentile players in specific stats or if they, they altered and both of those guys match. Like, you know, Steele's really good off the tee and, and Keegan can match that. But then our Irons, you know, they can really just take advantage of Keegan and hopefully Steele can uh, play a little bit better with his short game there. But yeah, I like that pairing quite a bit. It seems pretty expensive for GMAC and power. I'd be able to rule those guys out. Even like Sig and Straka. I don't know. I mean, uh, Sep is, Sep is interesting, but I don't know paired with, with Sig. Uh, I, I think until we get to AK flat, I'm good fading the other guys. Do we remember what courses that we like as crossover courses for TPC Louisiana as a singles event? And would they, I feel like that could help us. But I'm just trying to think back to the winners. You got like Rose, Brian Stewart, Bubba, Horschel. Billy. Who? Yeah, Horschel. Yep, yeah, Billy. Yep. Uh, who else would we have? Duffner, I think, won here before. 
or did yeah did he win here no he wanted the he won at colonial he was second at this tournament and then he won at colonial because he got the stupid jacket but it's weird that although it's at par 72 it's only like 7300 yards that it actually kind of i feel like it meshes with heritage really well when we think about it and try to look at some of the crossover players i mean steward can't win in any event that driver is very important he's one of the literal shortest guys on tour so you put that, you, it's a little opposite with Bubba, but Bubba does it at weird tracks. So I don't think I need to include like Bubba's driving. I would think Billy, you know, would, would be a similar set. So yeah, I would think those shortest, shorter type of dink and, and kind of up around. Yeah, that would be my like kind of head pick. Well, it, it's kind of difficult to parse with Stewart because I mean, Lovemark and Ben Ann are in that playoff with him, True. both two guys who bomb it. And the fact that it was 54 holes might lend itself to sort of an outlier winner solely because there was obviously really bad conditions that week that yeah. maybe I would assume lift clean and place was in play. And when you have Stewart, a guy who hits every single fairway, maybe that just turned into a huge advantage for him. Fair. I, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. No, I think that that's fair. And love Mark is probably quite opposite. Um, and Ben Ann too. So yeah, I, I don't know. And it probably doesn't matter as much over i mean that's probably why we've gotten away with it over the last few years is because is of the randomness of this event but um yeah i think what we're, we're getting to um aligning on kind of those shorter heritage type does make sense so what one thing we can do because i think it gets overlooked that this is actually a pete die course <laughs> yeah so i mean if we if we yeah do it so if we run best pete dies in the, in the track Bet P- best pete dies uh andrew novak with his uh glorious one round which i would assume is at the stadium course at the yes. amex earlier talon callum Terran, a guy who i've played on DraftKings this year that that's legit true he's kind of good i like him <laughs> uh we'll see that but then you got lowry man scrivener it's only four rounds for script what fucking four rounds are those why does scrivener pop up on everything well i don't think he's been good in euro this year that, that's he's barely P- played he played the pga championship at kiowa last year scrivener and he finished 23rd yeah i think i bet him like the next week because of how good that performance was yeah he does, he has one top 10 on the, the dp world tour this year uh i mean he's made his last five cuts so it's not pretty but it's not the worst yeah let's see yeah we're, we're we almost have all the euro stuff into fantasy national by the way i, I figured i figured you would be uh be pretty fired up for that That's and huge. You've been talking about like the shot by shot stuff. We all, I think Moose, yep. it's taken him like three months to download the whole by whole shot by shot analytics, but eventually yes. like very soon, I think it's all going to be up there. Good. Yeah. But, it's so huge. Cause I mean, the, the more it just creates a bigger sample, you know, I know people do a lot by rounds, but if you were be able to see her shot stuff, I, I think it does matter. So man, can't lay Barjon in two rounds. I mean, if we put, Maybe I should get him to put a minimum filter on this. That would really help. But you have all the guys that you would expect, the good players. So who are the bad yeah. players who kind of pop up here? I guess Keegan Sig, he only has two rounds. You kind of throw that out. Hatton and Fleetwood are both up there. Gim is up there. Scheffler, okay. Neiman, Rose still continues to play well. Sebez, Damon, Hoffman. Maybe Damon. Who's Damon's partner? Um, so Joel would be, I wish he was with Pigs, but he's, not, he's with Steven Yeager. Why is he with Steven Yeager? I think Yeager might be a Phoenix guy too. Um, Harry Higgs played with a college teammates. So uh, maybe that's why, because he's with Smotherman and they went to SMU together. I don't know. I don't picture Damon. 
Yeah, just if we're thinking about like the types of courses, if we throw Louisiana into this mix, we would have, I mean, I kind of talked it through last week, Sony, Sedgefield, RSM, Colonial, maybe this one deserves to be on that list too, just based on some of the players that have done well at Sedgefield. When I think of Damon, Heritage, Wyndham would like be the first two places where I'd ever want to bet Joel Damon. Yep. Yep. For sure. No, I kind of like that. Um, Trying to think. I, I gotta say this before I forget it. Before we get into seven games, because um, we I want to talk about Laird and, and Bob. Um, do you like these guys at all? Well, I didn't realize that Bob had this Louisiana connection, which that's what I was gonna make sure. Yeah, that the college he went there. Does that? I mean, that's not the re. I, I mean, for years we kind of were just like, well, I mean, Sam Burns went to LSU. How could he not win this event? I don't know how much there is to that. Like there's familiarity with conditions and green types, but you still have to go out and play at the same time. Yeah. I, I just, I mean, he was only there for like nine months too before he left, but, but I think Bob has been sneaky good this year. Um, you know, I mean, he probably had a, a middling performance for what he could have done at the masters, but you know, he played, he played well at the, the Valero really good at the Genesis and, and, you know, Laird can go nuclear. I think that's a really good team. Um, and AK, I like that. And like, and maybe it's different and maybe I'm overthinking this, but the motivation for someone like McIntyre is, is gotta be similar to like, you know, Scott Brown and Jonas Blix and these guys that like needed it. I mean, it, it does make a huge difference, but you could make that probably same argument for everyone below him too. Well, you can make that argument for a lot of people, obviously, but I think that you need, if you make that argument with a reasonable backup of a, Hey, this guy's actually good too. It's not like yeah. Jared Wolf with an E, you know, he needs a win to get his tour card for the next two years. Like, yeah, no shit. It's because he's no good. He needs his tour card. <laughs> Bob, Bob, at least we know. I mean, no, no, no disrespect to Jared Wolf. Uh, he's a, like a showdown guy for me. Don't don't worry about Jared Wolf. But like Bob is a real player. Yes. Yeah. So I just wanted to make sure we talked to them on the eight Ks because um, yeah, the seven Ks. Uh, I mean, I guess Scribner would would be in that Bob category, but I think Bob is a lot better of it. But I do think the seven Ks. You just gotta like find a little narrative and run with it. Okay, I'm going to go with Bob and Laird then at 8,000. I I don't know what else I really want to do in the 8Ks outside of Zalatoris and Riley, maybe Hatton and Willett. Like, I don't know what to do with this, like, middle range here. Do I just skip it? Because outside of the Canadians, maybe Kazire and Poston. I've seen them talked up a little bit. I can't imagine that these guys are going to be very highly owned. I mean, Ben Ben Ann and Sungjae, obviously, for me as well. But maybe I just use those three. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's probably probably a reason why they'll be a little bit more owned. I mean, I don't think I think people will struggle to to click on Sig and Straka and Kurt and Todd and Stenson and Rose. And like maybe this is a format you should plug your nose and play those type of guys um, because you know all hell could break loose. But yeah, I mean, my favorites align with you, Riley Zalatoris, um, on and in, and then I, I do think. Keegan and, and Steele make a lot of sense. And then both of them at the AKs because you get the, the Adams at the AK too. Well, it, it's hard to figure this out because I'm looking at the ownership percentages right now. And it does seem like I think Moose has sorted out. I think he's combined both teams into one player. 
Shout out to you, Moose. Yeah. That, that's great news. So you don't see Morikawa and Hovland. You just see Morikawa. That's going to include both their ownerships as a base yep. on the star. So they're projected to be they're the most, and this is still on a Tuesday afternoon, so there's another day and a bit for this to go. That's why I feel comfortable showing everyone this. this is, these are where the trends are going right now, that that team is going to be very highly owned. Scheffler and Burns are going to be very highly owned. Sergio Zalatoris, Team Chile. I'm trying to find like who the. We don't really get a break on ownership until the Bubba team, the Willett team, and then you have that yep. po- that Poston team. That Straka team is rating out really highly. Huh. Okay. Um, Georgia Dogs together. Yeah. I mean, Sep's been really good. Um, I, that that Feinberg comment yesterday about maybe stealing it from Lowry again would have been. Quite funny. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Sig just doesn't feel like he's an AK guy versus some of these. I guess Poston probably isn't either. Um, but yeah, I just, I just, both of the teams at AKs feel, are they owned at all? Are, are McIntyre uh, layered? Yeah, they, they are showing right now that they're being generated around 17% of lineups with Svensson and Hadwin around 23%. I, I would wager that the gap in real life is probably a lot larger than that. Obviously, Fantasy National members, a bit more savvy Sky, as, sharp, we, yes. as we've learned over time. But we'll, we'll briefly talk about the sevens here because... We do if, have to remember there's only 80 teams, though, too. So ownership will probably be inflated. I had not considered that. Yeah, top 33 in ties make the cut, if anyone is wondering. But we have these single digits teams right here you have the Poston team at nine percent todd at six percent stenson team at five percent and then into the sevens snediger charl streb and tringali and scrivener all below ten percent with the mcneely team and the gim schwab team uh rating out i mean the calculated ownership shows them at 16 and 10 percent they're being generated at a rate of 22 and 16 percent so Again, no big shocker. Fantasy National members love Doug Gim because stats love Doug Gim. But I'm shocked about the Streb Merritt team at like really low percentage. Like that's an auto click for me. And with all of the stats have been telling me, I feel like I almost have to play Scrivener now. Yeah, I mean, they, they are coming from what? Uh, I guess Kiowa. So last year could be worse. Um, I but mean, he- take a dart. I, I think, I don't think at this point, like, much probably does matter. So Scribner can get it going a little bit. I do like. Let's see. Scribner. I mean, the problem is he has Jason Day on his team. <laughs> That's another issue too. Yeah. Oh yeah. For the context of stats, he has six weighted events and only three of them actually show strokes gain numbers. PGA championship, WGC Mexico and the Memorial from 2020. And it's only because he gained 6.1 to K. I'm going to take Scrivener off the list. He's going back off the list. Uh, Those numbers were not super encouraging. Um, oh, it's because I was looking at Pete Dye courses too. I have all the weird filters turned on. I got myself running around in shambles here, trying to find someone I can actually play from the 7K range. And outside of like my gut tells me Streb and Merritt are going to be really good. I think Clark and Tringali have a decent shot of being an okay team. They're just two guys no one would ever want to click on. <laughs> so two things. Um, so I pulled up the ownership from last year. Highest owned team, surprisingly, was only 23% owned. There was 24 different teams that were between 10 and 23%. So it really didn't get crazy chalked for only having 80 golfers in the field. The highest owned teams last year, uh, Chase Seifert and Matt Neesmith, <laughs> Pat Perez and Jason Kokrak, Ryan Palmer and Rom, Cameron Tringali and Roberto Castro, Peter Uline and Richie Warinsky. 
So I don't know what goes into potentially some of these selections. So I guess anybody could be chalk reading that. So um, maybe Streb's team does get clicked uh, or doesn't. So they, they were, they were low owns. Okay. Um, I think maybe my team here in the sevens, but this is my argument for Bramlett and uh, McNeely. So if we talked about the high percentile numbers on the greens earlier, broke it down per per team when we're looking at off the tee. So if we look at off the tee numbers, same thing. I want to see who is having the literal best shots and how often they are doing it. So 90 percentile uh, off the tee shots. Combined between the two of them, Bramlett and McNeely are hitting 19.18% of their off the tee shots into the 90 percentile. The next closest team is Keegan and Steele at 15.3. So like they are by far the best off the team team when we look at upside there and they both can do it. Now, Bramlett's game is, is pretty bad elsewhere, but I think Mav's got enough in him that he could really carry um, a little bit of the team the rest of the way. So I, I do really like that team in the middle of seven Ks. I just sorted by strokes gained off the tee, uh, rounds gained on the field. Zalatoris is the best in the field. Keith Mitchell is tied with him. Okay. Bezadenhout's his partner, I believe. No, Mitchell's playing with Sneds. With Sneds, okay. Mitchell and Sneds. Probably similar player, honestly. Yeah, like are those skill sets too diverse, you think? But that's like almost where you... I don't know. I guess you'd think half of the round in alternate shot, it would play in their favor. There, I believe Axis was telling me if you tee off on like the odd holes, that's where the longer irons are. So they should hopefully be making the decision to have the better long iron play on a specific hole um, in alternate shot. So hopefully these teams take that into factor. I don't know if I trust them enough sometimes to do that, but um, I mean, they could be set up very well on, on nine holes. Yeah. And you don't have to go too like low and alternate shot. You just have to like play field average. Yeah. If you can just shoot even par an alternate shot, like try to sneak out a two or three under, like you are dancing. Anyone from these yes. lower sevens uh, that you can imagine yourself going to here, like to try to round out the roster. Cause I'm trying to see who I have clicked outside of Kisner and Brown at 76. I was actually thinking Warinsky and Uline probably because I saw them play together before. Yeah, and that was the week before Uline, I think he won on the Corn Ferry Tour the week prior. So he came in with some form, and they finished, I think, like third last year. Um, so chalk hit. Um, it's pretty gross. Um, I mean, if we think of people that do have the connection, um, I mean, Higgs and Smotherman did play together at SMU. Higgs has shown a little bit of life to develop the Masters. Smotherman probably has some decent ball striking numbers if you looked at him on the whole 2022 season um i I think they make a little bit of sense uh it it feels that you always see with like 18 holes either hayden buckley or alex smalley on like a first page of a leaderboard they aren't there by the weekend but um the birdies do come in bunches for those guys i think that's some good talent 7k i'm trying to think yeah smotherman and higgs kind of do it who is sam Ryder's partner uh, Doc Redmond. Doc Redmond. Okay. Redmond, eh. I, I was, because I mean, uh, they're not paired together next to each other. I was like, Ryder and Shank is actually not a terrible team, now that I would think about it. Hoagie seems really lowly priced here, doesn't he? Yes. He feels like he's definitely the best player in this range. Um, well, he's got Barjan. Um, I don't know. That's probably not the best part we could have. I mean, I think it's fun that, like, 
Tigala is with Bo. I mean, Bo has been on a couple of leaderboards, but Tigala's plays matchup. What do you think about, okay, what about Higo and Grace? Grace was like sneaky good with his irons last week. Uh, Higo was okay. not, as someone who wagered on Higo to win. Uh, that was bad news. I, I don't know. I can, is he too much of a liability right now? for alternate shot because it seems like he doesn't know where the ball is going but it feels like he still hits enough good shots that if grace plays well grace could pick him up a little bit i don't really know how to parse it yeah i guess that i mean what it's in five missed cuts in a row for me though it's been bad i expected both of us expected way bigger things out of him uh this year so i don't know i mean grace what is kind of a little bit of a beat die guy um right one at heritage so I don't know. They seem like they, I wouldn't be like shocked if we saw, but there probably isn't enough in the form to, to play there. Horsefield's coming over. Horsefield is one of the best, if not the best birdie maker on the DP world tour. But Matt Wallace has been probably worse than they go. Yeah. What happened to Matt Wallace? Dude, it's bad. I don't know. I mean, that year, I mean, he was, I mean, I think we all bet him in majors. Um, you know, like he was right there. And what, I mean, he's hasn't made a cut stateside in 2022. Horsefield hasn't played since Saudi when he withdrew. I definitely bet him that week. He was like top five to the first round. Yeah, he, uh, was, he was fourth at 12. Yeah, he, he was, yeah, T, T4, T12 to kick off the year. Then he was WD in the middle of February and hasn't played since. I believe he was in one of the like other fields and had to withdraw too. Uh, like in the Caribbean fields, he... I don't know. I, I think, uh, I don't know. He just, he's just one of the literal best birdie makers potentially like in the game of golf. So, but Matt Wallace is really bad. Latest news. Yeah. Latest news. The latest news on Horsefield is from November 20th, 2021. That's probably not going to do it for us with him. So besides Warinsky, who would be one of these teams that you would take a shot on, do you think, down in the sixes? Like, if we have to, if we do want to double stack at the top and take two really good teams, like, would you be focusing more on birdie percentage? Like, what would be the random thing you would focus on? Probably, probably like what I guess none of these guys are that good. So, probably, yeah, one birdies would be what you, you have to ask for. And maybe one guy just in like a decent bit of lead in for. Um, I mean, what like Kevin Chappell has been kind of good, right? 18th and a 15th his last two times out. Um, Corrales in Texas. I mean, Texas, he always plays there. Who's he with? Chappell's with Jane, your boy James Hunt. Oh, that's not bad. What about Kitty Yama and Appy Burnrat? Yeah. So, I mean, what Kitty Yama was in the mix at PGA National. Yeah, and, um, and even to look at their opportunities gained, like they're both inside the top 45 over the past 24 rounds. Okay, and, and Barnrat's a good putter, um, like we've seen it. So I think he, he could be um, one. What about we talked earlier, Callum Terran. Who was Callum Terran's partner? Callum, Callum Terran is playing with Skins, whoever the hell that is. <laughs> David Skins. Um, I don't think there's any argument. But like Callum Turner was seventh on the Corn Ferry Tour last week. Skins made his last cut. Okay. Um, I think Skins is like a decent putter at times. Um, oh, how about Lee Hodges and Vince Whaley? Okay. 
I don't mind it. Lee Hodges was like in that Florida swing, like he was right there on a couple of events, I thought. Let's see, Lee Hodges, miscut, miscut, 70th, miscut, 9th, 39th. Like he's not playing well right now, but he does have two top tens. Uh, one at PGA National, one at a Pete Dye. So that's something, if nothing else. And Vince Whaley has been, all right, you know, top 30s in his last two starts after a pretty horrendous start to the year. He was our guy last year, by the way. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, he was like chalk in hitting every week. All right, I think um, I'll take I'll take that shot down the board. Uh, like if I need, some, maybe I'll try to find someone with better salary savings, but both those guys are inside the top 40 in terms of ops gained. Ramey and Johnny, uh, that's interesting. Uh, Ramey was good last week. Oh, uh, Ramey's playing with Creel. Damn it. Who's Hunter playing with? Kang. Oh, Sung Kang, who kept popping in all those. That's an interesting one. How is Kang? I feel like Kang has been god-awful. Um, yeah, but he's still, like, even when she misses the cut, like, he can, like, still have, like, a showdown GPP winning round. Like, he axes one a showdown with Sung Kang, and Sung Kang, like, still missed the cut, but he, like, was, like, four under on the day. Um, so I think Kang has the upside in there. Um, Michael Kim has shown oh, God. a little bit of life. Sung Yil No won at this course in the past. Um, I'm just trying to think of reasons. Curtis Thomas, Ted Thompson is paired up with Nick Hardy. Thompson did go to LSU. So I know you made that very compelling LSU argument for Burns earlier. So it applies for Curtis Thompson. Um, if you want alternate um, skill sets, there's not much bigger difference um, out there than Trey Mullinax and Wesley Bryant. That's just insane. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, they could go like maybe three or 400 par when, when Mullinax is teeing off and, and Wesley Bryant gets those wedges, but I don't know about the other holes. Yeah, that's going to be pretty tough, I think. So I think that I'll end it. I think I'll take the shot with the Appy Barnrat team with Kurt Kitayama and... Hopefully that just works out, and that will be all glorious for me. I think they're 6,700 or 6,800. It's probably where I'm going to cap my week in terms of where I'm going to go at the bottom with my salary, which probably precludes me from playing, obviously, Vic and Morikawa. I mean, you could play them, but your team gets pretty weak afterwards. That you could probably still jam in Burns and Ho, or one of the other two teams right around the Scheffler or Cam Smith team, and then have... Imanan, Zalatoris, and Davis, and still like feel pretty good about it, I think, without having to drop down to 6,400 or something. Well, you could also play Tommy Two Gloves Ganey and Robert Saudi Arabia Garrigus. They are paired together at the bottom end. Okay, so. I, I didn't pick, because I've been working all day, so I've just seen these like little tidbits about Robert Garrigus. Did he confirm that he's going to play on the Live Tour? So he's the first player to apply for the exemption to still be able to play on the PGA tour had he competes or competed on the, the live tour. So it's still, you know, not sure if Greg Norman wants him to play, if he's just saying, Hey, I'm ready to play. If you guys want me, I'm going to file this extension, take one for the team for the rest of the tour. But if Bobby Garrigas starts making money with that short putter, you know how many people are going to want to like, be like, okay, that's a lot of money out there for the taking. Yeah, maybe he's a nice test case for that tour to get a guy like that. I, I do worry about my guy, Bobby G, mainly because if you go back and read this ESPN story about him, about how he's like smoking weed and porta potties on yes. the Corn Ferry Tour, I don't know how the Saudi League is going to really feel about that. <laughs> yeah, very fair. Yeah, for him, it's just quite funny to see how the last few months of, of this tour has gone and for, for him to be the one uh, leading off the exemption is, is just a little cherry on top. 
Yeah, they go from Bryson and Phil to Robert Garrigus very quickly. <laughs> very, very. But no, I mean, who knows how this week? I mean, after looking at those ownerships, man, I think you do just take some random stabs. You make an argument um, and, and try to make some unique lineups and, and get lucky. I mean, it is fun if you have somebody in the mix of this event on Sunday. Euro, you and Tom did the full show. That's up on Mayo Media Network right now. What's the tournament? The the Ispis. How many? How many? Okay, what is the name of it? Is it is 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 piss? What is it? ISPS, yeah, Honda. So we have the ISPS Honda Championship in Spain this week. Meanwhile, there's the ISPS Honda Championship also being played in Japan this week on the Japan Tour. Okay, so we have literally the same name tour in two different places. That doesn't make any sense, but doesn't ISPS also sponsor like five tournaments in Australia as well? Yes, yes. So money's flowing out of ISPS. In the, yeah, especially in the golf game. Who do you like um, in this tournament? Because it didn't seem like a super stack field. I saw Burned was playing. Yeah, so so this has just been the hard thing about the, the DP World Tour is we literally, since the last time we spoke match play, there hasn't been an event played. That was the last tournament on the DP World Tour. So you're getting guys that haven't teed it up for, for a month that are playing. So this course hasn't been seen um, on the on the Euro Tour before. Um, it's one where there's Q School have been played in the past there, but nothing that we have really pointing to it. Some of the longer hitters played well. I like some guys that have at least showed some life or even played during that gap. So John Catlin is who I'm on to start. Catlin was a winner for us last year. He finished fifth two weeks ago on the Asian tour. And that's when Catlin kind of cut his teeth getting up there. He had the best round over the weekend on Saturday and Sunday as combined score. He's 55 to one like him. Uh, are you familiar with the golfer Schwan Kim? You ever heard of him before? No, but I do like that name. So Schwan is in like unbelievable Asian tour uh, form right now. He's got a second first and another first in his last four events. Um, so he's, I just like that. He won literally last week on the Asian tour in a stable for an event. He's like 60 to one. Again, when we look at some of these guys that just haven't played for a little bit, and even if they came over and played like Rasmus Boygaard and Bernard, the top two, Rasmus did really well in those events, but like he's still very short odds for, for a little bit of a layoff of it. So Schwann's in good form, 60 to one. Marcus Kinholt is another one who's Ooh. been top 10 his last two events. Um, on on the the DP World Tour, S- sneaky good irons for Marcus Kinholt. Yes, he he. So like similar to these guys getting layoffs, he played in his home like league during the first break, which he finished like sixth on, and then I believe he won on it the next week, and then he finished back to back top tens um, coming out of that in the Euro Tour. So I like him, and then a few long shots, um, fun names here to start. So Henny Duplessis Ooh. is eighty to one. Um, we're leaning on some sunshine, some challenge tour, and he did good in his Euro events too. He's 80s. Um, and then I do think there could be an advantage to Bombers. Um, and that is probably the longest guy outside of Wilco Nienaber on the tour is Nicholas Norgard Moeller. He's 125 to one. They call him Vic Jr. because um, he's kind of rocking those tight pants and uh, style that, that Vic does um, over there. He's 125 to one. He's an absolute bomber. And then Lucas Nemics at 150 to one would be the last one. Um, and like I said, it's just been a weird year so far in the DP world tour. So we're kind of guessing off of some form from a month ago, kind of leading in what we've seen in this course in Q school, but um, some decent long shots. So ready to, to get back after. 
Man, there are guys that I used to bet on here that are legit 200 to 1. Like Andrea Pavon, I know that he went through his struggles, but he's 200. Southgate is 200. James Morrison is 200. Fresh Eddie Pepperell is 180 to 1. I mean, Robert Rock is old at this point, but like Mike Lorenzo Vera, I swear to God, he competed in a PGA Championship two years ago and was near the top of the leaderboard. Harding Park. Yeah, no, uh, yeah it was either that. Yeah, he, he was literally. Um, how Tong? How Tong was there too, but um, both of them. I mean, How Tong's kind of a little bit shorter, uh, but yeah, dude. Odds and like these golfers. I mean, Guido. This is the first week of a four one out. I didn't put Guido on the on the betting card. It's been like two years in a row. Yeah. How do you how do you come to terms with that? Because I've done that a few times with Luke List in the past. Uh, I gave up on him ages ago. Unfortunately, when his stats turned around, I jumped back on in order to hit it. It's really hard to break up with guys that you bet on every week because you feel like the emotional attachment you have to them winning because you bet on them every week. And if they just won and you hadn't bet on them, like, what would you do? Oh yeah. It would be really hard to stomach. And that's why you can't quit, you know? And I guess the fortunate thing is, okay. Like you could throw $10 every week, you know, and just be like, okay, if it hits, it still pays off massively, but it will add up over time easily. Um, It's just been like really bad. We had our like, you know, moment of the year when he was by himself in the leaderboard through six holes so i i think that's a perfect going out for for guido there uh he actually did cash me a bunch of nice stuff last year with his each way yeah. finishes like was it bland who stole that victory from him or the british masters yep yep that playoff that shouldn't have even been in the playoff bland killing me Ugh. yep yeah anyway uh, yeah i think the time's now what's next week on the europe or the dp world tour yeah, so they stay in Spain uh, for another week. So we have that, and then it's back to that event. The, the British Masters is following up there. So the, the event of the year, where we'll really get into it, will be that week before the Open Championship. Uh, we have the Scottish Open, and it's going to be a collaboration with the PGA Tour. So like, that's going to be the, the big thing we're leading up to. But we do have uh, a decent stretch leading into the next major. All right, that will do it. On the Pat Mayo Experience, everyone go follow Sky on Twitter and tune in to the DP World Tour Picks and Bet Show. You can find that on the Mayo Media Network video feed on YouTube or Fantasy Sports Picks and Bets The Mix audio feed. It's a great listen. And I mean, Sky knows a ton about the DP World Tour, but there's a legitimate European on that show as well. And Sky, as you know, when you're talking anything, whether it be any international sport, whether it be golf, soccer, whatever, having that British voice behind it just adds that air of credibility, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, Tom Jacobs is great. It's been fun uh, getting to do that. He does it all at like these weird hours of the night. His dedication to, to the game is great, too. Love Tom. So go watch this uh, for the last like two minutes or so. Smash the like on the way out, play in the listeners league, then hop on over to the DP World Tour Picks and Bet Show. This guy gave you the quick primer on everything that's going on. But if you want an in-depth breakdown of the field and the course, you can find that over there. Thank you all for watching. Good luck this week at the Zurich Classic. I'll see you next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.